When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your M.O.? To find your M.O., tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by Hannah Farrell and Keith Tomlin to talk about the blues and all that that implies. Uh, (laughs) Guys, I, I will admit that part of what I thought about when I pitched the idea of kickabout uh, to to Matt and to Dave and others was really this uh, maybe this is more of a contextual thing but I suppose I thought well you know this will be the kind of podcast where the subject matter can go wherever uh, mainly because we can all admit we need a diversion away from Everton because you can only record so many hours a week of talking about how just talking about the tragic comedy that is Everton and and just how sad things are all the time. And so now we live in this new reality where we're not only we're, we're unbeatable. We are an offensive juggernaut. Uh, we have a we have the best. We have the most productive striker right now in any of the major European leagues. Uh I, I'm still, I'm having a hard time. Like, I'm. don't get me wrong. I love it and I'm not questioning it and I'm enjoying it for the moment. But I will tell you, I am so in practice uh, having conversations about things being bad that I think it's taking me a while to kind of readjust uh, my my instruments, if you will, if I was a pilot of this plane, it's 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 just it's a bit of an adjustment. Uh, Hannah, I'll start with you. Like, is it an odd feeling feeling this good for such an extended period of time about Everton for you? Surely it must be. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's only after um, 
Saturday where I've started to let myself like get fully immersed in this joy because I was so apprehensive. I was like, okay, well, it won't last. It's not going to carry on. It's Everton. So it's only since like Saturday now where I've been like, oh, like this is what it means to enjoy football. Like I am, um, so, so my mum's a massive red and I like, I went in to speak to her after the game last night and I said like, I get it now, how it's mm-hmm. so exciting to watch your team when they play, how they should be playing and they're just a joy to watch. So like, yeah, I'm fully on board of it now. Like last, like it's what Twitter's been like and everything, obviously us being the chart top and blues as well. Just <laughs> everything is Oh, fun. that song. Oh my God. It, it, it's just boss though isn't it and like yeah. i think that's the thing you've just got to think about like if this is like what if like first of october like imagine if we do win something and this carries <laughs> on like this joy like i'm just so ready for it i'm so excited keith i'm i'm almost really in a place where i don't particularly like because hannah's absolutely right like what you can you can do the whole like well what if we're still good in December or what what have you, but I almost don't even want to go there because I'm just trying to live in the moment. Though, to Hannah's point, like we actually are in a place where we could have hope if we dared to or we wanted to talk about it. But you and I have been part of so many group conversations over the last few years that have been immensely negative because we haven't had anything good to talk about Um It's not even a question, Keith, of what do you make of the start, but it's more of a question of how 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 foreign or not foreign does it feel to talk about a team, a football team that you love doing well? Uh, Because I, I don't know that I'm I don't know that I've ever been in a place where I've talked about positive things about Everton for this many consecutive weeks before. And I've been following the team for 16 years, so I, I, I don't know. It really, the more I think about it, the more amazing this all feels. How, how are you? How are you doing with it? See, I'm 35 now, and I'm hardened in life's fires by Everton. Um, I've I've watched us under um, Mike Walker. I've watched us under Walter Smith. I've seen. I saw Howard Kendall's third comeback. Mm. I've seen shit Everton, like really, really, really bad Everton. So basically I'm at the stage now where I just I'm really really excited to see how we make a mess of this because <laughs> only Everton could get one of the greatest managers in the history of world football they could get like a mercurial talisman in James Rodriguez they could have the best young striker in the country and go unbeaten for six games at the start of the season and still end up in a relegation battle. This is not so, the negativity we want. Enjoy it. So I'm 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 just waiting to see how it goes wrong. But while until it does, I'm gonna enjoy it. The last time I think I felt this level in, of enjoyment with Everton was the first season of Roberto Martinez. Yeah. And do you remember when we played Swansea away just before Christmas and we won two mm-hmm. one Barkley and Coleman scored? Yeah. And it was around about the time they brought out the song where um, the whole the backroom staff and the players were all all singing together on on camera. Um, and honestly, when we that Swansea game, when the full time whistle went, I thought, you know what, we're winning the lot here. It, this is this is it. This is where it turns for Everton. And then 
the wind got up a little bit and Rick Wee came over and then just everything went to shit. <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm blaming Rick. Not, I not that I'm blaming Rick Wee for Everton's downfall, but it was definitely his fault. <laughs> so for those of you who've only recently come because I think one thing I'm trying to remember is that we suddenly have more listeners from both Colombia, but but also I think even a decent uptick in you know from America too, uh, just because it's amazing how winning attracts new fans. It's funny and how that works. Rodriguez. Yeah, hot Hamas <laughs> Rodriguez uh, and all that hot Hamas Rodriguez action has brought us new fans. And so I just want to make I, I want to say two things. One. Um, we are a fan base that makes lots of little nuanced inside baseball sort of references to weird happenings and things, you know, that you probably don't understand. So just kind of roll with it and you'll pick up on it after a while. But to specifically reference what Keith is talking about, poor Rick Wee, uh, a super, an Everton super fan from, I think, Thailand? Think Malaysia, it was. Malaysia, Malaysia, yeah. excuse me. Uh, pardon me. Uh, he came over to see. I want to say was it the 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 Crystal Palace game. That it got was canceled? yeah, the Crystal Palace game. Um, it was a midweek game, and it got cancelled because of ridiculously high winds. And it was mm-hmm. at the time where our winger Gerard Delafeu tweeted very very wind <laughs> to describe the weather conditions. <laughs> Which is another little in joke you'll probably pick up through uh, through your journey on yeah. the good ship Everton. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was the uh, the Palace game. Yeah, well, and I, you know, Hannah, you'll you'll find this funny. Um, I'm in a fantasy football, but in this case, NFL, like American football, nice. fantasy football league with Keith, and I've named my team Yerry Yerry Wind. <laughs> I did appreciate that. I just I thought you. I, I my whole goal when I bring <laughs> Hannah on is to to get her to laugh and just smile. Yeah. It just yeah, it's 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 that easy could be target a good shooting. beer name as well. I think a little crocodile. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, wind. Yeah, no, it could be. But poor Rick Wee has somehow been somehow him coming over got blamed for our downturn because uh, we did eventually play crystal palace. We lost that home game. We really shouldn't have lost. And then it just seemed like our champions league aspirations began to slip from there. Uh, but you know, look, uh, the, the bottom line is I think that I've got to kind of sort of calibrate uh, my feelings of right now with, what I expect and how I'm going to react when we lose our first game. You know, you know what I mean? Because we could lose this weekend and it doesn't negate or ruin going unbeaten in six to start. It doesn't negate or ruin the foundation of a really solid squad that we're seeing right now that to me, and, and again, maybe this is hindsight is twenty twenty, Keith, because you know you we reference that 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 first year of Martinez all the time. Like that's how low our bar is over the last decade for joy. Is that a fifth placed Roberto Martinez team was just the pinnacle of joy well, for us? Well, that's the best Everton I've ever seen. I'm I know. That's the only joy I've ever had before. Now <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's. Uh, I'm not saying it's not factually accurate. I'm saying it's. It's sad that that's the, you know, it it is now granted, um, 
even this season to me is not about like, I mean, my God, if we finish fifth, that's uh, quite a season. But I've got to say that that there's something about this group, and maybe it's because of Carlo Ancelotti, who is a far, you know, 10 times, 20 times the manager Roberto Martinez is. We have more financial backing this time. Uh, this feels more solid of a prospect for something really good than than that one that team did. Though again, we're still really early, and we'll see how things go. But um, I'm I am I am drunk on optimism to a large degree, Hannah. I I I, I know it won't happen uh, in all likelihood, but. Uh, I've had this conversation with Mark Mosey several times. Like I, I'm of the opinion, look, this is a league that is in flux. This is a weird season where you've got some of the top teams. I mean, you know, you know, Liverpool are going to be there at the end, and you know, City with all their quality, they'll probably figure it out. But even they, they don't certainly don't look like they once did. Chelsea, meh, Arsenal, eh, Even if you, you know, look at like, Sheffield United now, struggling so oh, much compared to last season, it's mad. Yeah, if you start actually going club by club and you take all of your assumptions about how this was going to go, you can't help but look at it and say, as much as we were kind of thinking the ceiling of this thing is top six... And I know this could change with some injuries as we, we saw last night. You know, we hope that none of those are severe. I don't think that they are. But but if this squad can maintain fitness, which is the case for every squad outside of maybe some that have just ridiculous depth. Like, if you just look at the landscape of the Premier League, you look at the landscape of playing these fixtures the way they are. Not being in, in Europe actually seems like it might be an asset this time around because of the congested fixture list, etc. You know, I, I think we probably have to – there will come a point, even if we're not ready to say it today – where if we're still playing relatively at a relatively high level like this uh, by the end of November, I think it's reasonable to say, why not us for a top four spot? Why not us? I, I, am I, I'm trying to be somewhat cautious and logical here. Uh, you know, guys, am I, am I off base or is, is, should there be any reason if you've got a transcendent player like Hamas Rodriguez, the, one of the best managers and most accomplished managers in the world in, in Carlo Ancelotti, like, and Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison playing like they're like, why not us? No, Jordan is maybe Jordan Pickford's the answer to that question. I don't know, but, <laughs> but why, but all joking aside, why not us? But I completely agree with that. Like you've already got to look at, how this project Ancelotti has developed even from what June to now like what we're capable of but to me it's not just about like oh do we like dare to say it or dare to even think it when I speak to people who support other clubs apart from Reds everyone's saying the same thing so I've spoke to um so we're working with um a guy who supports Arsenal this week comes into me saying I think you could get top four if you compare it to everyone else yesterday I was on a um, zoom call with um, two Spurs supporters who were saying no we can see it too and it's mm. the fact that we're getting that recognition from them big top six sides that we've been shunned from for so long which I think shows I suppose the shift and the attitude towards us so like he says I think if it gets to November and okay pick up a few draws whatever like we're not saying that we're gonna not get beaten and we're gonna have a season like that but if it gets to November and we haven't had our usual dip out of momentum then 
why not? Like, mm. you only have to look at, it was only a couple of years ago, look at Leicester. If you look at the fact of what Wolves have done, what Sheffield United did do last season, it's it's so possible to do it in this league, hence why it's the most exciting league in the world. So I don't see why not. And in terms of, okay, we have got Hammers, we have got Allen, obviously DCL, Richarlison, great. But if you even look at in these... um. Caribou Cup games in terms of the squads we've got now, the players stepping up. Like Delph last night, he's someone I ripped a shred saying he shouldn't play for Everton. That was what he put in last night. That's the type of player you need to be in all competitions. The exact same with Sigerson, who okay, mm. even when he came on on Saturday. Great. Tom Davies, when he has put his little bit of in, a will be putting his bit in. The, we've got enough players now. And it just seems like a different time. We're not just relying on three people. It's just I feel confident now with putting out our weaker side, who was our first team a couple of weeks mm. ago. So I just don't know. I feel like there's so many factors since June which have just changed drastically that it it, it could it could happen. The it, it, the only thing would be a typical Everton, but just everything just seems different. Probably now in our look, it's because we we're not there screaming at them, giving them stick, and the seconds we get back into Goodison again, they'll all bottle it and be shy. But I definitely <laughs> want to talk about that, by the way. But no, that would be the most Everton thing ever. And people have said like I am. Um, I was speaking to an Arsenal fan the other day in work and he said to me, your fans are brutal. He went, I would not be surprised the seconds that you just got back <laughs> that this all went wrong. And I was like, uh, no. But you know what I mean? Everything uh, just seems, it's ours for the taking. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, you've only done a few games and you know the charts and all that blues getting ahead of themselves. It doesn't matter. Any other team does it. If we're all having a boss time and we've got all of the resources there to have a belter season. So. Yeah, Keith, Keith, you you look crying it in aside uh, concept <laughs> I've become painfully familiar with uh, over the years. Um, am, am I am I looking at the landscape in a somewhat realistic way? I, I just to to it's not so much that we are perfect or anything like that. Far from it. Um, but it's 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 it almost becomes a math a, a mathematic mathematical exercise from the standpoint that a you look at the number of spots that that are available for champions league which are four and then you start to look at you know how rock solid are there four rock solid sides in this league that don't seem to you know that seem to be impervious to dips i don't think that there are i think they're like let's see what happens with city but but let's just favorably say two that really don't seem to experience some, you know, any major issues. What, what those sides of course have over us is they probably have greater quality depth uh, than we do. Though I would say that our depth is starting to look better as the levels collectively have been raised. Like, like what, you know, if you can get performances out of a Bernard or an Awobi or a Sigurdsson in cup games or in, in, you know, uh, in random substitution appearances, like that's nothing to scoff at, is it? I mean, there, there seems to be, there seems to be a light here. And then the other part of the mathematical equation too, I guess is, you know, it's not like we have to just go unbeaten. You know, the good thing about winning a bunch of games in a row at the beginning of a season in theory, or actually in truth 
is that it reduces the burden for you to have to be awesome the rest of the way if you bank points now in the games that you should win. Um, I don't expect this to you know, go away to all these sides and win per se, but um, I, I would say that the dynamics that used to be there in terms of home and away are very different now. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't want to take anything away from the Spurs game, but I'm pretty happy with the idea that we're going to play sides like Chelsea or City or, you know, even even you know, the Reds or whatever without fans at those venues, that, that, that helps it. It makes it levels the playing field. Um, I don't know, Keith, like obviously we, the, the dark comedy aside of what could go wrong, what, what is, is there a path here to do something special that, that, that seems a little more palatable than it did uh, only a month ago? I mean, I, th- I think you're spot on there. Um, when you say, look, you've got, you got four, Four spaces at the top of the table get your Champions League qualification. Liverpool, for me, are the only flawless side in the league. They they don't have a weakness that you could pick out straight away. Then you then you look at City. City's defending is abysmal. It is yeah. absolutely atrocious. And the way Guardiola sets them up doesn't really um, help to mitigate that. If anything, it makes it worse because um, he sets them up as an all-out attacking team, and then as soon as the side counters against them, you're up. You're up against the likes of Kyle Walker and John Stones. You can have fancy. You can have fancy chances of nicking something. Look at Leicester. Leicester ran them ragged on the break with a 34-year-old Jamie Vardy. Mm-hmm. So you look at them. You look at United. United have a a, a decent decent squad. Um, they've got their problems, don't they've, they? They've got their problems at the back. I don't rate Harry Maguire for a minute. I cannot see him as an £80 million footballer. No. Um, I described him on Mailbag the other week as a shaved ham in boots. And I think that's, <laughs> that's about as accurate as you'll get with Harry Maguire. Bruno Fernandes is a cracking player, but is is he any yeah. better than James Rodriguez? Not really. No. No, not, I mean, not, no, not particularly. I, I think younger. in terms of what he's came, I, I don't think he can um, make a whole team's performance improve the way that Hammers does. I yeah. think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so United have the problems. You look at you look at Chelsea. Chelsea have had their struggles with the goalkeeper. They're struggling at centre half. They're rotating. They can't find a a partnership that is going to stick. Um, and then you look at the likes of, well, Wolves have dropped right off. They, they got beat 4-0 by West Ham at the weekend. You look at Leicester. Leicester are a good side. But how reliant are Leicester on Jamie Vardy and penalties? I mean, he's scored five goals this season and four of them are penalties. Right. Without those penalties, they, they don't win one of those games at least. So they're a good side. Are they a great side? No, probably not. Right. They, you've also you look into the fact that you've got Brendan Man- Brendan Rodgers as the manager who is liable to have a meltdown about 18 months into his contract as soon as everybody figures them out and he'll end up getting sacked and going to like Brighton or Burnley or somewhere well, like that. And Leicester are now missing Indeedy for a, peri- a long period of time who is their, yeah, he, basically their only yeah, recognised defensive midfielder. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if they're going to you know, address that in the market or what have you. Yeah. But, you know, all these teams, you and know, then, whether it's injuries or whatever, they, they do present some opportunities yeah. or a case to be made. for. And then you come back to Everton and uh, Hannah touched on a really pertinent point there. Our first team last season 
are now the ones that are coming off the bench. That's our squad depth rather than the ones we're relying on to start and finish a game and get three mm-hmm. points throughout a season. That's our squad depth. Fabian Delph has been much maligned um, throughout his ever- time at Everton. He was the best player on the park last night. Hands down, he, he was he was fantastic. I might last go night. with the guy who scored the three goals, yeah. but I, I mean, see your point. Yeah, I, I mean, Cal Calvert Lewin did his job perfectly. Yeah, Fabian Delph was fine. I want to see it more than one game. Yeah, in at terms a of time. Pro- coming back and proving something, he definitely yeah. did. But Keith Keith's right though in that look, we can. It's not a coincidence if you see it a bunch of times. Like you've started to. You know, Gilfie Sigurdsson is even turning himself into a useful player again, yeah. which he was not for an entire season. That last season was the biggest waste of time for yeah. a guy of that that level of talent that I've seen. Already, in ages. what I've seen from him this season is better than I saw all last and, season from Sigurdsson. And why is that? It's that, because, because of the, the levels have been raised. Yeah, yes. the stature of players around him. He's not fighting for the place, but also I think it's sort of. Do you want to call it an ego or a prize thing? These players yeah. who have come in are better than him. I've come in at a lower price than him. He's obviously feeling, okay, I've really got to turn it up now. Okay, all of us have ripped into shreds, as we always always have done for the past, I'd say, like, what, nine months? But there's a reason he is then our um, captain, if Seamus isn't playing. There's a reason, because Ancelotti mm. sees all this in him. And you know what? In the last few games, I haven't got the Sigerson anxiety anymore i'm happy with him being he's doing his job well hannah to that point it's easier to like gilfie sigurdsson and what he brings when you're not expecting him to be your best player or second best player or third best player even i mean i think that's the difference is that some guys are made to carry a side um his transfer fee seemed to to suggest that he would have to be that sort of player and and I'm I'm always loath to beat tra- beat players over the head with the transfer fee amount stick if you will because I think it's not really up to them um, but fair or not fairly or not there there comes some expectation with that suddenly you know some would argue well now Gilfie's a luxury player well you know what if we're gonna have him on the last uh what has he got two more years on his deal or whatever I mean yeah fine I don't care you know if that's what he is great or if he is just a luxury player for the season before we go out and replace him or whatever fine um I just want if he's gonna be here or any of these players who are going to be here, whether it's for the one more season or for a couple more, like, you know, Bernard maybe falls into this category. Um, you know, if they're going to stay, I want them to not be passengers. And the difference so far this season, and again, I know some of this is in the cup, but you're getting production and let's not, let's not just roll our eyes at, Oh, well, but it's a you know, it's in the cup. Look how, look how much we have struggled in cup games against lower league teams and, 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 and having an inability to score or make these comfortable wins. Like we were, it was a little tense for a few minutes uh, uh, in, you know, in the round before last against, um, Oh God, Fleetwood. Uh, but really that's just because of two bonehead mistakes by the keeper. I, I, we're scoring it's amazing how and and let me let me give you guys some advanced uh soccer saturday metrics here um it's amazing what happens to 
to your chances when you create more chances to score and thus score more goals. <laughs> Suddenly it's not, everything is not like on this knife's edge. I, I think we have all, and we've talked, I've talked about this recently, but I think we've all lived in this perpetual Everton existence where in order for us to win, literally everything had to go right. Every decision from the referee, every VAR, every bounce of the ball. Uh, we have to get a 10 out of 10 from some player playing out of his mind. Like, and if all those things didn't happen, we, you know, we were in trouble. And if they did happen, we were probably still only winning by a goal here or there. I mean, last season we could, we barely ever cracked three goals in a game, much less four or five. Now we're scoring and I don't expect us to average five goals a game or anything ridiculous like that. But, um, you know, going back to this idea that there is a straw that stirs this drink, the introduction of a healthy, you know, James Rodriguez into this thing has it, it it impacts every level of this of this team that you put out there. I I would go as far as to say as much as I was scared last night and you don't want to lose any of these players for any period of time. I don't know about you guys, but Hamas feels like the one you just can't lose out of this thing right now in terms yeah. of the Premier League, especially just because if, if if you don't have him, it just feels like it's a big drop off to whoever replaces him. Yeah, yeah when the injuries kept trickling through last night, so I was saying to keep before we started recording, I was watching it on a stream because I'm not paying attendance to Sky. So I was watching <laughs> it on a stream and I was, must have been about five minutes behind. And every time I went on Twitter, it was Richie's down, Alan's down. And I was like, oh my God, make it stop. Wrap him up in bubble wrap. I was thinking, like, I was like, oh, we don't even have a sub to get him off and just protect him and shield him. Um, so that was like the biggest anxiety if we if we lose him, especially because everyone's been like, oh, we won't be able to play 90 minutes. He doesn't please blah, 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 for Madrid for this long. Like, although it's a good impression there, Hannah. I like that I, voice. I always see them. That was, yeah. Twitter, <laughs> voice, Twitter hater voice. This Love is like it, yeah. my like angry middle-aged mom being like, I use a social shit voice. But <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> no, but anyway, um, I've lost my train of thought now, Rob. Oh, sorry. Cool. Well, you were just saying, yeah, you were saying about, about you were, you were seeing all the injuries on Twitter and you were worried about yeah. that because I had said something about Hamas Rodriguez feeling like the one you just can't lose. Uh, yeah, no, because reason. what he's what the lift he's give to the team, the squad, the respect he's got from the manager and everything, and how you can see the players around him, how much they're playing off the skin because they're like, oh my God, I'm teammates with him. It, not just in terms of what he brings to us, bringing them like superstar passes that everybody's talking about, not just Blues. I think it's also just like, I think a momentum in the team that yeah. you haven't got him around you because you're playing with a superstar who's like even seeing after um, the celebrations with that picture, which everyone's turns into like Abbey Road now and everything, seeing him <laughs> like that with the players. Like I think he brings so much more than just what he offers on the pitch. It's what he brings as such a, a, a like accomplished player. So it'd just be terrifying. So I think we need to protect him at all costs. It's just annoying now because now even like getting into the Academy Cup and that it's games now where we need to be playing and because obviously if you look at the teams we could potentially be playing it's all Premier League sides yeah. so we can't afford to okay we'll trickle him out but 
We won't play till December, though, luckily. Is yeah, it? The cup doesn't resume till December, so that yeah, helps a lot. And obviously, yeah. the saying with um, Alan that it doesn't look as serious as originally thought. He, oh, I, think, he, I think it was in his post-match last night. He says it was a twist to the ankle, didn't he, with Richie? And he says yeah. he could potentially be available to sa- for Saturday because he's made of steel. <laughs> and then that, Or rubber, or what have you. Yes. <laughs> uh, like, that looked gruesome, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw oh, that replay, but boy, it looked way sick. worse than it turned yeah. out to be. But he said um, the same with Alan as well it looked worse than it seemed so hopefully mm. you know what we have got all these players but well, I think it's just a bit of a reminder that we can't be burning people out straight away because it, it's like I was saying last night I'm ready to go down to Brighton after 10 minutes and undownload Spirits of the Blues off before when the injuries came through because <laughs> I was like this could all do a big 360 very quickly <laughs> yeah yeah Hey, Keith, I, I wanted to also point out something and get your thoughts here, too, I, just because I I want to point out something that seems very obvious, but I don't want us to take it for granted. Do you realize we've talked about and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's been really difficult for us to win more than two games in a row for it feels like seven, eight years. You know, like we've never been able to build momentum and momentum is this thing that some argue exists or doesn't exist. But there certainly is a palpable feeling that it means something right now uh, in that winning becomes this addictive uh, feeling. And you try to you try to you try to maintain it at all costs once it once you get in the habit of it, it's habitual. But man, we, we it felt like we were always as a fan base trying to sort of will it into existence we'd have an impressive performance and then we'd go out the next game and we'd get a draw or we would you know maybe we'd win two but we couldn't get that third it just i can't remember i know we did i'm sure maybe that 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 purple patch if you will that silva had in the second half of God, last season or the season before, <laughs> like it. Sorry, it's gone on for years. This previous season, so it's it's hard to remember. But you know, like it just didn't. It feels like that's always been to the earlier point so difficult to attain. And now we've won what six six in a row. I mean, I know that those are lead cups in there too. But my goodness, six games in a row. I just I don't even know what this universe is. It's, yeah, it's um. We always seem to be. We always seem to come up, come up against a false dawn, don't we? We we have a couple of games where we look really good, and we think, oh yeah, we're, we're going to kick on from here. This, this is the moment we kick on, and then we'll like drop points at home to a Sheffield United or a Norwich or someone we should really be beating at home, and it always just seemed to be that we can't really get a run going. And you look at the best teams, and you look at how well they how they win trophies. They win consecutive games in a row. They win 10 games in a row. They win 12 games in a row. And if they draw a game, they'll go back out the next week and win. Whereas if we won a couple of games and then drew, you'd expect, you'd put your house on us to lose the next one because a little bit of momentum's gone. And it almost seems to be a mentality thing as well with Everton. It's like a, Oh well, we fucked up last week. We better not fuck up this week. We we we, we need to go ultra conservative, and rather than saying, "Well, the two weeks before that we won, we won handsomely," so let's go back to doing what we were doing. We try and change everything and try and say, "Right, okay, let's let's arrest this. Let's um, let's get it sorted out." 
And if you've looked at so far this season, I mean, the Spurs game, um, people say Spurs were poor. I don't think Spurs were poor. I don't. We didn't let Spurs play. We were we were superb first day of we, the season. We made them poor because of how well yeah. we played. So the narrative gets crafted however it gets crafted. But we played exceptionally yeah. well, and we should have won that game three nothing. We should have, yeah. So you look at that game. That game is probably the only time this season that we've got out of like second or third gear and really kicked on and really dominated the match. We've won games without really having to stretch ourselves too much. I mean, you look at last night. Last night, they equalised in the, I think it was 26 seconds after half time. We didn't panic. We didn't, we just stepped up a gear slightly yeah. for five minutes afterwards, hit the post, and then scored again right after that. And it's just this it's a mentality thing. It's like we, we've, something's clicked in these players' minds that says you are a good football team. You are a collective of good football players. Just do what you know how to do and it'll be all right. Rather than trying to sort of overwhelm them with, oh, well, we can't have any mistakes this week. It's more of a go on, just do your thing and it'll work. And I wonder, like, obviously I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of the club, but I wonder if that's something that's been worked on over the summer um, with Ancelotti coming in and the team he's brought in to try and sort of raise the level of confidence throughout the squad. Because if you looked at us last season, there was we were just devoid of it completely, especially after the after the lockdown period and uh, the Wolves away game. We 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 lost that game before it kicked off because you could see the players didn't believe that they were as good a football team as Wolves. And with with all due respect to Wolves, Everton should be a much bigger side, a much better side than Wolves historically. And yeah, yeah, but Wolves have had continuity, and I think that's really helped them. Obviously, but yeah, but 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 to your point, what you're everything you're talking about, Keith, is is a byproduct of belief, not yeah. talking about believing it. Not thinking about believing believing in yourself, but actually believing it. And believing in yourselves is something that I I don't know that it's something that can be taught to you. It has to, it's almost like belief becomes a self-perpetuating thing. You have to, you have to start with prepare, preparing to win and then win and then win. And then suddenly you have a sense of belief that is actually earned versus something that you've manufactured in your head, you know? And I think yeah. that, look, I, I, I can't say the same for Decore. He came from, he came from Watford and, and they got relegated and he's lost plenty of games, but you know, particularly in guys like uh, Alan and in uh, certainly in Hamas Rodriguez, they, they've become so accustomed to winning that it oozes out of them in terms of their confidence that, that, and that that again that 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 really does seem to trickle down to everyone else. Uh, if you've got a player who's been ultra successful and won a lot of things, and of course that starts at the top with a manager who winning is something that is very matter of fact for him, as opposed to this thing that uh, you know is the you know that he did once uh, in fifty years, and, and I don't want to say got lucky or whatever. I mean, he's just a guy who's proven that that his approach, his mentality, the way he handles players uh, from the top down, all those things 
ultimately result in success and that breeds confidence and and uh the confidence now though feels less uh like a conceptual thing and feels more like a something that's real because they're actually doing it and therefore every time they do it like you pointed out the fact that uh you know against West Brom they drew even uh against um Palace drew even uh, the cup games. Uh, I think we had we, we had one or two where they've drawn. I, I guess my point. Yeah, West Ham uh, drew, drew yeah. even with us. Uh, Fleetwood did Fleetwood. They got no, two Fleet, within. No, they got there was within yeah, three we were, two or yeah. It was it was it went two nil two one three one three two right. four two five two. But the so, bottom line is, is that we used to, you know, as we've all we've delicately put it, those are the circumstances in which we quote shit it. As soon as any adversity was breached, you know, w- you know, was encountered, we, you know, we just we had that, you know, and this is where the curse comes from. But we had that fatalistic, oh shit, here we go again feeling. Whereas now the here we go again is is been flipped on its head and it's sort of like oh they tied us <laughs> it's Trials fine we're gonna bitch. go yeah, yeah try it. <laughs> I almost want to make that the name of the episode try us <laughs> try bitch, bitch. Uh, yeah um, I don't know that Matt will go for that but I love that let's be the, the subheader there but but yeah like it's a it's a weird form of arrogance isn't it that you know okay fine you scored but we're gonna go score like. I am of the belief that even if we hadn't had that favorable, you know, some would argue favorable um, handball call against Palace that resulted in the Richarlison penalty, it was early enough in the game. I was confident we were going to go find another way to score. And maybe I have no way to prove that, but that's just the feeling that exudes from this group. Um, Okay, I want to talk about one last Everton thing before we move on to a non-Everton thing, but I feel like I'd be remiss. And and I, I think... Um, based on the current governing rules of the Blue Room, Matt Jones will not allow any podcast to be published without talking about Calvert Lewin. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about Calvert Lewin and the the somewhat recent. It's I don't want to say it's a recent revelation I've had about him, but I think that I'm I'm I've come around on him over the last year or so. Mainly because he's scoring goals now and strikers need to score goals or else they shouldn't play. And I know that's an oversimplification, but, you know, Calvert-Lewin, I I had a little thread on Twitter today. I wrote about this that, you know, the biggest biggest compliment I give to that guy is he's completely self-made. He survived all of Everton's dysfunction and terrible management and a variety of other things and just kept at it. He benefited from our inability to, you know, we kept missing out on targets to replace Lukaku. Sandro was a disaster, you know, it didn't work. And, uh, you know, even, you know, Moise Keane, uh, I, I still think there's a young, talented player in there. But either way, he was probably brought in with the idea that his talent would eventually either complement or maybe even exceed Calvert-Lewin's and whatever. The bottom line is, is that Calvert-Lewin has risen above every obstacle or challenge or thing thrown in front of him and developed into a really, really good goal scorer uh, who's in the best form of his life right now. And I, I think what I've learned to appreciate about Calvert-Lewin is that is that really, I, I think, where I was viewing him in in a way that wasn't fair to him was that I had in my mind that these are the things, this is what an elite striker looks like. This is what an elite striker does, uh, et cetera, in terms of like last night, um, he got a hat trick. 
but when he tried to shoot from outside the box, like it's still, it's still ridiculous. Like he's, that's not his game. You know what I mean? He's a poacher, but let's stop using the word poacher as some sort of backhanded compliment because it's not, um, being great at scoring goals doesn't really, I've come to the conclusion that all these goals count the same. Like I, I think that I, I've said to people before, like we're talking about politics here in America when we've got this election coming up and, you know, people are there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, well, I'm not super passionate about Joe Biden or whatever. And I always say, you know what? An unenthusiastic vote counts the exact same as a super enthusiastic vote. A, you know, an outside the box, uh, uh, Hamas Rodriguez worldy counted the same as Calvert-Lewin tapping in from three feet. Being able to score those goals is not an accident. It's not luck. Um, Calvert-Lewin even said this in a recent interview that he works really hard at strategically placing himself and being in the right place at the right time to score those goals. Um, His athletic skill set is designed to be that kind of player. He's an excellent header of the ball. I, 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 I looked at him before and was skeptical that what he had skill set wise would ever translate into being this top level striker, but he started scoring goals and it's just to the point where it's undeniable. You can quibble with, well, I wish he was a better, you know, could, you know, was a better shooter from outside the box or from distance or could curl this in or could, you know, do what Hamas Rodriguez, but, but you know what? He doesn't do those sorts of things and that's okay. What he does do, he does better right now than anyone else in the league. And the bottom line is, is that if he's got these elite chance creators around him, especially if you can keep Hamas Rodriguez fit and you're going to get all of these chances manufactured for him every game. Look, if he ends the season scoring 30 goals, no one's going to say, yeah, well, but he, you know, how did he score them? Hey, he's not scoring them at the penalty penalty uh, spot either to, to Keith's earlier point about Vardy and Vardy's look, he's a proven, you know, commodity. I'm not, I'm not denigrating him, but but Calvert-Lewin is going to rack up goals because of his hard work and his endeavor uh, and the fact that he is making the most of his specific talent. Um, so I, that's, that's my, you know, I, I don't feel like I have to do this all the time, but I am one of those people, and I was not alone, who was skeptical about, you know, all these years of him banging his head against the wall and if he'd ever be a productive striker. And I was thinking his ceiling would be like, you know, maybe a 12 to 15 goal a year score. Now, now it certainly feels like with, with a Hamas Rodriguez in the side and, and with others playing better that the, that the ceiling is so much higher. Keith, um, I, I, what have you made of this start? It's, it's just, it's, it's beyond what you have to admit. It's beyond what any of us, despite the, the told you so's out there, it's beyond what anyone could have ever expected from a guy that we paid less than 2 million for from Sheffield, you know, four years ago. I mean, that, that told you so was definitely not aimed at Matt Jones in any way, was it? <laughs> Uh, no, look, I no Matt, Matt, Matt is, I, that's a true believer. Matt is a true believer. Now let's be honest. A lot of Matt's affection for him. And I probably, you know, he just personally likes Calvert Lewin and that has probably clouded his judgment in the same way that I know that I am, I am a shill for Yerry Mina and things (laughs) like, I know that that's fine. 
But but Matt, to his credit, has always wanted to stick with Calvert Lewin. Um, you know, his Matt's same sex feelings for Calvert Lewin are perfectly valid, and I have no problem with those because we live in a modern world. And good for him. Good for Matt. Good for Matt with being just totally out about how much he loves Calvert Lewin. Can you believe and, him? Just love no, him though. He uh, is a fantastic looking man, and I have no problem. Saying, those thighs. Like, look at those thighs. Did you oh. see the picture somebody put up last night? And it was how he's bulked up in a year. Yeah. He was and a yeah. little scrawny kid picture. a year ago, and yeah. now he's five. He's a fucking massive. Oh, sorry, I got so enthusiastic about this. I mean, Hannah's. Sorry, you guys can't see it on the. You can't. You can't tell this from the audio, but Hannah is fanning herself wildly right now. I was taken back by myself. Then I got far too into that. She's just so hot for it. And look, look, Calvin Lewis. But you know what? All joking aside, like I wondered, like. Because Calvert Lewin's always been an athletic specimen. He's always been able to run fast and leap high, but he didn't have this like great, you know, striking strike of the ball sort of talent that made me think he was going to do what what he's now no. doing in terms of, of of production. But yeah, Keith, go ahead. I, I I I'm Matt is a true believer, and he has definitely been validated here, but. The bottom line is whether you believed in him a few years ago or not, this is just an immensely huge thing to have got a guy like this that you never didn't ever have to pay giant money for. Uh, yeah. That you develop that you developed, even though I feel like he developed himself, but that we developed here at the club uh, as a young player. Well, I think it was I think it was Mike said in the group chat earlier. He's turned into a striker that we couldn't afford to buy right now. And that's that's the perfect description of it. Great, great, great summary. Yeah, the, it's it is really satisfying to see um, that he's come from that that sort of tall, rangy kid who would get stuck stuck out on the right wing for twenty minutes a game at the end to try and run about and see if he could generate something and coming up. And the amount of stick he got back then, and people saying, "Oh, he's never going to make it," and. To watch him actually come through now is it is really satisfying. Um, to the point of scoring goals from outside the box, I mean that's that's like I agree with you fully on that. Would you rather he scored one goal from twenty five yards or eight goals from a combined distance of twenty five yards? Right, because that's what he's done this season so far. His furthest goal, his fur, his furthest out strike from goal was the header against Spurs from about 10 yards. The rest of them have been on the six-yard box or on the goal line. Yeah. And YouTube don't, highlights don't win games no, as much as just goals or I goals. I don't know about yeah, you, but from an Everton number nine, I want a big, horrible bastard who's going to stand <laughs> in the penalty box and score goals. Right. I don't, I don't want screamers from a number nine. That's why we've got the likes of James Rodriguez and Sigurdsson and Bernard. They can shoot from all distances. Get Calvert-Lewin in the box and let him score goals. And that's what we've done. That's what Ancelotti's obviously seen. He has the physical attributes for it. He has the footballing talent for it. And now that he's added the positioning um, knowledge and the, the sense, like you look at that first goal um, against Palace at the weekend, he did what all great strikers do and what Harry Kane's really, really good at doing is he led the defender in and then stepped back. And he mm-hmm. makes himself about a yard of space for Coleman to find him. And then it's inevitable because you're six yards out and he, he's slotting it. Yeah. 
that sort of thing doesn't come quickly. You have to develop that over time, and that's over what time. that's what we are seeing the benefit of now is the the development of him as a clever striker. And Ancelotti said that he's he's compared him to he's not he's not said he's on the same level as Filippo Inzaghi ever was, but he's he's compared his attributes and he said that's the sort of striker he can be. And you can see the coaching paying off now. And that's another thing for me that's really satisfying with him. Yeah, and there's less. And by the way, the finishing is improving, which I, I know seems very like, you know, Captain Obvious. But it's it's that how many times did we feel like, well, he's getting in those positions and then kicking it right into the hands of the keeper yeah. or whatever. Now he's got that part working for him. And you you make a really good point there keith like the the particular type of you know sometimes people will conflate the word skill and talent um talent is something you're 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 born with uh and yeah it, talent can be developed but ultimately skill is the actual realization of that talent and or it is something that you uh, develop through repetition and constant, you know, minutes on the pitch, frankly, and work. And, and Calvert-Lewin, look, he toiled for a lot of years not scoring, but what was really invaluable at that time that I don't know that any of us could have realized is having all that time on the pitch, getting a feel for the game, understanding what he could do and what, you know, what he was best at and, uh, you know, the repetition of getting in those positions. Now he's at the point where... And he's still what twenty twenty three. I've got the eyes on us meeting one day and being. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I Calvert Lewin is is uh, most most definitely a bachelor out there, Hannah. So I'm rooting for you. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he seems to have figured out. Um, it's it's sort of like when a person says, you know, I've gotten to the point in life where I know exactly who I am. I think that from a professional standpoint. Um, Calvert-Lewin knows exactly who he is, and he is now realizing the absolute best version of that. And you combine his youth, his durability, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get injured. Really, Touch wood now. I mean, Touch wood. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I know. But <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, we can do that. But I'm not. I'm just I like Calvert-Lewin has been a he has been a workhorse of a player. And you combine all those factors. And man, it's a, it sure is exciting. So. Okay, I want to end with some non-Everton stuff. Uh, I gave you guys homework before we started. Uh, as you know, and, and Hannah certainly knows this um, from previous episodes uh, of the show, but you guys know that I love music. I'm into it, and it's my other favorite sport besides uh, besides football. So um, I, 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 I am a radio host also. I, I do a music show every week uh, called Turn of the Century, and I play just tons of different music, mo- mostly from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. But what I want to talk about is actually new music uh, because I spend so much time with music that's 30 or, 30 or 40 years old sometimes that I have to like – I have to sometimes force myself to – to make sure that I'm paying attention to some of the really good new music that's coming out. Uh, and, and this time when I say new, I'm just referring to the year 2020 as absolutely ridiculous and uh, dystopian of, as this world has been in 2020. I have found this myself personally to be 
one of the stronger music release years uh, that I can remember in the last few years. Um, some of that has been uh, new bands that I'd never heard of. Uh, some of it has been old, old classic bands that are coming back after a long extended period of, you know, uh, extended absence for whatever reason. But uh, I found some albums that I really love. Uh, in the spirit of us now getting into the colder months of the year, guys, and I know that there's a lot of talk over there about another lockdown and, and kind of restrictions on movement. I think music is going to keep us sane. Uh, we're going to have some of the similar dynamics to contend with here as well. And so I always find that that uh, my best music listening months uh, oftentimes are in those periods when I'm not outside quite as much. Uh, I asked Hannah and Keith to tell me about one or two or heck if you got three great uh just a few albums that they're listening to right now that they're super that they just can't put down um what i'm going to do if you've listened to previous episodes of kick about before i've had these sorts of album discussions with uh, other guests before Uh, i know with jack and with kate and with others um, and Mike, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create just a kickabout uh, playlist on Spotify and on Apple Music so that I can any any albums that we talk about on here that people are into because I'm an albums guy more than I am just a singles person. But any albums that we talk about that we really like, I'm just going to put, you know, throw them all onto one big playlist. Uh, I've already started it. And I'm going to put it out on Twitter here pretty soon. But I'm just going to put it out there so if you guys are ever just like, hey, I need some new music or I need some good music or whatever, there will be a playlist from your good friend uh, Rob at the Blue Room on Kickabout. So, uh, Hannah, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Albums that have really stuck out to you this year, one or two that you just, for whatever reason, can't stop listening to that you're super into right now. One thing I will say, just with you saying that you thought 2020 was a really strong year for releases, I thought that until you asked this question last night and I went down and all of the albums I listen to the most still and what I dip into daily are all 2019. Just going to put uh, it out there. And you I know realized... what, Hannah? That's fine. You know what, Hannah? I tell you what, I don't want to put too many rules on this. No, what, no, I have picked 2019. 2019 is, okay, I was going to say 2019 yeah. is still recent. Enough. It doesn't yeah. have to be 2020. I was just aiming for new music. Well, and 2019 is still new enough because God knows this year has felt like yeah. two years anyway. So, uh, you know what, well, actually, with that change of rule, I'll do one 2020 and one 2019 because okay. I realized last night I was, everything I listened to is 2019. But All my right. first one is um, The Magic Gang. So these are like a Brighton indie group. And um, their new album, Death of the Party, came out, I think it was the back end of August. And these, I caught them live at Sound City. I think it was three years ago now. And I didn't really know them. Like, and I dipped into like a few singles since then. And I was listening to, um, so Jack Saunders on Radio One does a show and it was like his indie show in the nighttime. And I heard a track from their new album the other week. So I went and listened to it. And it's so good. It's just like proper, nice British indie bands. And I just think yeah. it's a really nice, um, I, t- I hate describing somebody's work like this, but like good music to have on in the background while you're doing stuff type of thing, which I don't like yeah. describing people's work like that, but it yeah. is. And I just think like, I think you'll really 
like than Rob. They're just nice. I think okay. they're just like young lads from Brighton, but there's just some really good tunes on there. So the um actual um album title "Death of the Party" that tune is so good. But then there's other ones. And the back. name of the name of the band is the Magic Gang. Yeah, I just want to get that clear. Okay. Yeah, the Magic Gang. And there's one. So my favorite um track is number seven, "Take Back the Track." I just it's so catchy and it's just like. English indiness at its best, I think. <laughs> and I think, like, and obviously this year, everyone was, like, hyping up over um, sports team, getting nominated for the Mercury Prize and that. I personally think, like, they're so they're so much stronger than them. They're just still like, under the radar a bit at the minute. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I Yeah. Death of the Party, Magic Gang, Boss. Okay. Recommend it to everybody. I'll tell you what, Hannah, what we'll do is we'll rotate around yeah. and we'll come right back to you. So, Keith, uh, give me one that you've been listening to. I know I have one that I think you've you've mentioned before yeah. that's also one of my favorites, but you go ahead and name whichever one so, uh, that you've got in front of mine. We're going to start with that one, and it's A Hero's Death by Fontaine's DC. Mm-hmm. Um, a good, great, great Dublin band. Um, and there's actually a few of us uh, going to see them live, hopefully if COVID allows, in May next year in Manchester. Um, myself, Les Roberts, Jack Carlyle, Matt Flusk, we're going through um, on the train. So we'll have train cans and good music. So that should be good. Um, this album for me is a it's a departure from the first one slightly in that the first album, Dog Roll, was really sort of angry and... Mm-hmm passionate album this one's a lot more melancholy which is summed up perfectly by um oh such a spring which is just a an outrageously good song to sit and listen to and ponder how shit this year has been because it just you as you sit and listening to it you can just feel 2020 seeping through and it sums it up beautifully but while being a good song at the same time um, so that that would be my recommendation to anyone. If you if you if you're struggling with how the world is at the moment, sit down, lash it on, and just just ponder and just think about life, and then realize that you've got so much yet to come. Yeah, dude, I I couldn't agree more. And um, I really, you know, I liked I like Dog Roll quite a bit, uh, but. I, I've enjoyed this one even more. I, I think to, you make a great point about how this feels more like a, a, a maybe introspective is the word. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we you hear the word melancholy and everyone's like, oh, it's just a, it's a sad bastard record. But I think that that's a reduction of it because it feels to me like they've made a post punk record, whereas their first record was more you know rock and punk and yeah. you know that sort of vibe to it. Um, but but I just thought that the quality from start to finish on this one was really good. I, I I definitely get what you're saying about the feeling of the album, the tone of the album, uh, really being in line with I think what a lot of us are feeling this year. Um, no, I, I think that's a great a great pick. Um, I'll do my first pick. Uh, this is one I've been on for a long time. <clears throat> I know the question was framed sort of as an album that you can't stop listening to. And I guess this one it probably qualifies uh, in that regard. Um, but it's a Brooklyn band, a young Brooklyn band I'd never heard of uh, called Nation of Language. And the album is called Introduction Presence, Introduction, Comma, Presence. Um, the, be- the best way for me to sum up this album is that if I had sent this to you, uh, and said this was from 1984, uh, and you're into uh, New Order and Duran Duran and Depeche Mode. 
that this album would fit in perfectly with that. It's a, it is a classic new wave post punk album. And every single, there is not a weak song on the album. Like every one of them sounds like it could fit perfectly on the radio back in the eighties. And it is just, it's one of those albums that sounds like it was made by people significantly older than the actual group themselves. Um, The story behind the album is pretty cool from the standpoint that basically because of the challenges of 2020, they just decided to release the album themselves without a record label. Uh, They, they, they basically, secured their own promotion they worked to get their album pressed on to vinyl it's kind of in limited release but i found a copy and it's fantastic uh but uh nation of language i can't wait for you guys to hear it. it's very it's very it is definitely very english sounding in some ways um even though this is an american band so i i i i, I can't recommend it enough uh, uh, nation of language um hannah give me your yes. second one so I was just being indecisive then because I was going to go with what I picked me up at 2021, but now that you've opened it up and said I can have 2019, I'm going to go to 2019. What I was going to say for 2020 quickly though, which I've talked about with you, Low Drop, is the Slow Rush Tame Impala. That is definitely one oh, of the yeah. albums of the year. But I've talked no, about that later. I'll put loads. that on there. That's yeah. a great album. Yeah, but for sure. I spoke about that later. I'm going to go. So I feel like we always talk about like a bands, but like another like, like huge love of my music is electronic music. So this is an mm-hmm. album that came up. I think it was the back end of last year, but I didn't find it until lockdown, even though I, I, I love his music. I just, I didn't, don't think I was aware of it coming out. Kate Trinaza, um, his album, Bubba. I just think it's such a good album. So he's got like Kalyush just on there, who's like a Colombian singer. Estelle's on there. He's worked a lot with like Craig Daves in the past. So he did like, it was more like- How, how do I spell his first, like- Kaytranada. So K-A-Y-T-R-A-N-A-D-A. Kaytranada. So I think he's, I think he's Canadian, I want to say, a Canadian okay. producer. But this um, album's just so funky. So he's done tunes in the past with- um. Who? What's her name again from the internet? Uh, uh, you will know one of his tunes because it's so mm-hmm. big. But he's just a really good producer. And there's a song on the album, 10%, who's got, it's Kelly Unchus in her, so she is a Colombian singer who I just fancy and adore because she's just amazing. It's just such a cool Attention, track. Colombian <laughs> listeners. We are talking about Colombian music. <laughs> right. I'm probably it's pronouncing just... the rain wrong now. <laughs> Hannah, that sounds amazing. What it would you say in terms of, you mentioned this is an electronic album. Is it more of a, like a dance pop sort of album? Is it more of a chill album, a little bit of both? What, how would you characterize it? No, I'd say in like in terms of like categorizing it, it's more like an alternative electronic mm. album. So it's not something that you'd like hear if you went out to necessarily. Um, I think it's, it's quite a lot of like synths. I think it's just more funky mm-hmm. dance basically. Um, something that you could just put on in the daytime. So I, this is what I listened to a lot during lockdown. And this was my um, going on a walk to not be lazy, but yeah. not going on a run type of album. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's just like the perfect amount, but it's just very funky. Like I think there's a lot of like, there can be like a bit of jazz influence in there. Um, it's not just like a uh, in your face. It builds a lot. I just think it's a really good album. And when you hear some of the vocals on there, like there's one with Estelle, and I just think like it's just such a tune. So mm. I think it's something that everybody should check out. All right, wonderful. <laughs> I cannot wait to listen to it. You know, you know that I love a good electronic album for sure. All right, yeah. Keith, give me your your second selection here. 
So as as you probably know from the from the group chat, I've been having a bit of a war in my mind for the last couple of years. Do I or do I not like idols? And I cannot decide. I I I can't work out if I like them or I don't like. And it all stems, I think, from uh, the first time I heard Danny Nadelko, and I thought, you know what, that's an absolute rammer of a song. But a few other album, a few other songs on that album, I was a bit like, I don't know if I like these. Um, they brought the new album out. This uh, they, was it. Was it this? It was week just a couple weeks ago. Last week, yeah, last week, yeah. Last week, yeah. I think. U- Ultra Mono, and I've been listening to it while I've been on the road the last few days, and really sort of hammering it quite heavy. And I have come to the decision that I like Idols <laughs> because. This album is sensational. Yeah. Yes, it's it is. yeah. Model Village is such a tune. Yes, Model Village, and the one that comes after it, that Ne Touche Pamois. Keith, can I do some breaking news uh, while we're doing this? If I can interrupt really quick, because I you want can. you to continue on, Idols, because I, I I'm a big fan of the album. Uh, Paul Joyce has just tweeted: Everton are pressing ahead with talks tonight. Mm, excuse me. With talks tonight, Ooh. I'm made, my <laughs> very excited by this breaking. Clearly, news. I need to go to the hospital. Uh, Everton are pressing ahead with talks tonight with Norwich for Ben Godfrey. They've been seeking thirty million plus add-ons. Carl Ancelotti wants the player ahead ahead of Tamori at Chelsea. So, well, you know, I just figure a, a, a significant transfer tweet was worth uh, interrupting about. But Keith, go ahead, talk about <laughs> idols. Like w- one thing I'll, I'll throw out there is it, much the same way that I felt about Fontaine's DC's first album. Versus Versus their second one, which I've liked better. I think I, I like this Idols album better than their first one. I think they've improved. And it is also very much an album that in a different way, because Fontaine's is much more introspective than this one. This one is all the rage I feel about the tire fire of a world I'm living in right now. And it is pure cathartic defiance. I love that yeah. feeling of it. It's... I mean, I've been thinking today, well, I've, I've been on my way back from, uh, I was in Doncaster earlier, and I've been thinking today how to describe this album. And it basically, for me, it's angry social justice. He's pissed off at the world yeah. and how shit the world is and how it's been allowed to get this way by rich, powerful white men, basically. Um not naming any names of Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, <laughs> but you look at look at the songs and the the names of some of the songs on there. You've got war, you've got anxiety. That's things that everyone's sort of feeling in their in their in themselves this year. Mm-hmm. And it's another one, much much like Fontaine's album, where it does. It feels like a great summary of this year and the world that we're in right now. Um, so I would, I would, that's what's tipped me. I do like idols and it's because of this album. I think that's an exceptional, uh, summary of it. I, I can't, if again, I, it's funny cause I'm going to bring up another kind of loud rock album too. I, it's, it's weird how sometimes your year in music can really be in line with how you're feeling or want to feel about the world that's surrounding you at that time. And, and, uh, the new Idols album definitely feels like it dropped at just the right time for this kind of pivotal yeah, moment definitely. that we're, we're in right now. Um, another one, I think in line with that, uh, this is uh, one of two albums I've got. I, I, I'm kind of tied with them both because they both 
The only similarities between these two albums are that they're both uh, the return of artists that took a long, long hiatus. Um, this is another, if you are a fan of the kind of guttural anger, ang- you know, I, I hate to say anger because that, that almost makes it sound like it's just a bunch of noise because the musician sh- musicianship on Idols is great too. But uh, to take that even to another level... The new Deftones album is fantastic. Uh, Deftones are, they've been an American hard rock institution for a long time. Uh, there's, there's a bit of metal in it, but it's, I, I still, it is the, it is the hardest of hard rock, but I, I almost am loathe to call it metal because I think that that, you know, paints a picture of the aesthetic of the sound that's not totally accurate. But, um, you know, Deftones is just an absolutely, the, the new, their new album is absolutely uh, a testament to the power of, you know, rock rock's intensity to make you feel things. And I, 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 I was kind of blown away because I knew they were coming out with a new album. I've always been sort of a casual Deftones fan. Um, though they, they had two albums in the nineties, white pony and around the fur that are just absolute classics, but this is their first album for about half a decade. I, I didn't know they were coming out with one, but it's fantastic. The other one is a Manchester band, uh, that I've loved for a long time that took about a decade off between albums. And that's, uh, doves. Uh, the new doves album is, it's it is it is a warm blanket it is it is they sound like they never took any time off they sound like them it's one of those things where if you like doves you're gonna like it but it is it is definitely a throwback to uh the i say it throwback sounds weird because it sounds like it could could have come out 10 years ago or now or 20 years ago and it would fit in fine but um it is uh just um, it is absolutely kind of dreamy, dreamy, uh, you know, dreamy Northern rock, if you will, in the same vein of, you know, obviously their earlier stuff, some of the verves earlier stuff. Um, there's kind of a mix of some psychedelic elements and sort of these kind of hushed tones and textures, but also just these like soaring anthems and, you know, electronic flourishes. It's really a mix of a lot of things and a lot of influences, but, uh, the new do- the the new Doves album, uh, and of course I, I'm saying it, and I'm like, God, I love this album, and I'm totally just blanking right now on the name of the album. It's called the Universal Want, W A N T, the Universal Want. Uh, th- those that have been my favorite. Guys, before we finish up, uh, Hannah, Keith, any others you want to add for good measure? Now that we've gotten into the stimulating music conversation. One more then, what kind of music? Tom Mish and Yusuf Days. So uh, like I've loved Tom Mish for years. So he does a lot. He's alternative, but has a lot of jazz in there. So he like got broke basically by Jazz FM. But he brought out this album, which is so much different to his um, older work. I think it was back in April. And it's such a good, uh, like old album. It's so good. What kind of music? Sorry, what, it's the name of it's the name of the album is what kind of music? Yeah, I believe. Yes. What kinds of music? Okay. It's so good. I think it's one of the most the best produced albums I've ever listened to. Mm. All of which in him he does himself with in use of days, and it's just so. If geography is album which came out I think in twenty eighteen was very funky, where this has gone more down the synthy a bit melodic kinds of thing but it's just another really really good album so yeah wonderful put that there uh keith you, you got you have one more you want to throw on for good measure 
I mean, my, mine isn't a recent one. Mine's just going back to 90s Britpop, <laughs> and it is, it is the defining album of the 90s Britpop era, um, and it's Pop's Different Class. class. I, knew, I knew he was going to say it. You knew, that, you knew where that was we, going. We need um, to have a separate was... discussion about what is truly the greatest album of that era, of, of that particular genre of music, because I've got you, thoughts too. You should re- you should re-erect, uh, resurrect your music pod, and I'll come on, and I will just talk you through every song on that album. Well, we because I love we it. We could make it's... a kick about episode of full music pod, and I have no problem with that either. Uh, especially when we get into fully. an international break, is the perfect time for these types of discussions. fully into that. But uh, in lockdown, we did a music mailbag. Remember? And yes, that was it so. is great, and I, I am, I am all, I am all, all for music talk at any time. Uh, no, look, different classes is a classic. I. I think the, the the better discuss. It's hard to narrow down to one, but I think just coming up with your top five uh, '90s British albums that is a huge challenge. But I think it's one that I would totally take on for a pod. I think that would be a fantastic discussion. Um, I, I'm going to start work on that yeah. tonight. Because <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, oh, five, I could do five. And then you realize, oh, my God, I've got 20. And how do I choose? <laughs> how do I leave this How do I out? choose between my children here? It's very – and <laughs> the other thing, too, about music from past times, like from, from decades past, is that the way you feel about them now sometimes is different than how you felt about them then there are certain albums that have grown on me in a way now that they they, i don't think i immediately recognized their greatness back then so that would be a good discussion but we'll save that for another time guys what a fantastic everton discussion we've had things are good Uh, hopefully they go well against brighton this weekend you know i I, kind of a last statement on everton i'll make uh, as i as we go into brighton there are no every team we've played so far has been a team that is formidable so we haven't been able to just kind of take for granted oh we're, we're going to win that that'll be easy like even West Brom because they were recently promoted we that's always been a banana peel or a banana skin uh for for us so uh Brighton have started the season they they it was shocking the way they lost in the Premier League last weekend to, to United. They should have won that game. They hit the post five times. Um, but they, they definitely look like a better team. That Lamptey kid at right back is someone I can't wait to watch uh, uh, us play. But I think Everton will be focused. Hopefully the injuries to Richarlison and, and Alan and uh, John Joe Kenny aren't too too serious. Um, I, I think we'll probably see Allen sit in that game. But I, I still predict uh, you know playing at home for whatever that's worth. I think we're going to, I still think we're going to win. I think we're going to keep this going. So hopefully we'll have a good, good, a lot of good stuff to talk about in upcoming podcasts over the weekend with post-match and with all of the other content on the blue room uh, weekly just came out. Uh, I know Matt, Matt's got a weekend preview for those of you who are uh, extra listeners. We've got mailback this weekend. Um, we'll have stats pack with Matt Cheatham from sky. We've got just a ton of content, lots to talk about and all of it really fun and good and happy right now. Long may it continue. My thanks to Hannah Farrell and Keith Tomlin for joining me this week. We'll see you guys again next week for more Kickabout. Take care. Northern Tool and Equipment isn't just a store. It's a problem solver's paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Northern Tool and Equipment Summer Sale is on now. Stop in and save up to 50% on pressure washers, sprayers, generators, fans, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Hundreds of deals in-store or at northerntool.com. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.